Hello and welcome to Talking Aussie Books, a new weekly podcast shining a spotlight on Australian fiction. My name is Claudine Tanellis. As a writer and avid reader, I love chatting about books. And in this podcast, I'll chat to authors, publishers and readers, giving you, dear listener, insight into what's hot on the Australian fiction scene. So if you're looking for your next book recommendation or just want to know more about Aussie fiction writers, this podcast is for you. Grab yourself a cuppa, sit back and enjoy. Meredith Appleyard is the author of five books and loves writing about layers of complexities in small rural communities. Her latest book, When Grace Went Away, was released by Harlequin Australia in May of this year. It's a tale of a farming family fractured by grief, a grief which is compounded by the harshness of life on the land and the struggle to keep a family legacy viable. Within the pages of this insightful story, Meredith has spotlighted not only some of the big issues facing Australian rural communities at the moment, but also issues of wider significance to modern society. It's a heartfelt, tender tale of a family's journey towards healing and the ties that bind us to one another. I thoroughly enjoyed my first Meredith Appleyard read, and I know many of you out there will too. On that note, it gives me such pleasure to welcome Meredith to the podcast today. Hi, Meredith. Hi there, Claudine. Congratulations on this wonderful book. For me, it captured so beautifully that intrinsic push-pull relationship between familial obligation and self-determination, a trait not just evident in rural communities. Yes, I think everyone in their lives, somewhere along the line, feels that sort of push-pull, that whole what your obligations are versus what you'd really like to do. I think we we feel it every day. But when it comes to the big things, I think that's what When Grace Went Away, that story is about. And, and it's also, I think, as you age, that your priorities change and you realise that the things you want out of life are perhaps different than what you thought they were. So I suppose keeping an open mind to what's happening around you. So can you tell me what inspired you to write this particular story? I wanted to take one of my characters away. I wanted to take them to London. I had an experience in my 20s where I went overseas and I I lived in London for a while and I worked in London and I commuted and I found it such a soul-destroying experience in a way even though it's an exciting city, but when you actually live there and work there, one of the main things I remember about it is the commuting because to be able to afford to live there, you lived in the suburbs. And so I was an agency registered nurse and to get to wherever my clients were, sometimes I'd have to take three modes of public transport. And the commute was two hours at the beginning and the end of each 12-hour shift. And so there wasn't much time for anything other than work. And I talked to Londoners who'd never left London in their lives and I just couldn't understand how they could do that. I mean, I was going to work in the dark, I was getting home in the dark and I was having one day off a week and trying to cram as much of the sightseeing and all that into that time. And it was the first time I'd ever experienced homesickness and it is a visceral emotion and you really do feel sick and so I just wanted to come home I stuck it out for as long as I could but I really missed everything Australia my family my friends and in the end I I came home so I, I wanted to explore that in a way 
why we feel this need to spread our wings or whatever, because it was sort of a rite of passage in a way. But then inevitably for me, it was the homesickness that took me home. I love London and I've been there a number of times myself and I could easily visualise Grace in her new surroundings from your wonderful descriptions. The dreary winters and the cold that seeps into your bones, the extra long summer days and the briny scent of the Thames. The very first time I went to London, I was on my own and I suffered terrible homesickness. (laughs) And it was just, I think, the days, you know, of the commuting. I can see it now looking out the windows of the train into the dark with the lights and that and just thinking what am I doing here (laughs) I think back on the experience quite fondly now but at the time and I've been back since not to live or anything but to visit and it was quite nostalgic actually to to go back I went back oh it's quite a few years now but as a much older person and could be a bit more I don't know objective about my experience and so to remember it all and conjure up the setting was relatively easy and along with Google Maps, which is just fantastic. <laughs> Indeed. When I was trying to work out where Grace was going to live so that I could get her doing all the things I wanted and commuting the way I wanted, it's just fantastic. And even to the point of the apartment building where I had her living on the Google Maps, which is there's a bit of lag time in all that there was actually a construction site next to it and I thought I'll use that and you know to and in the scene where she gets a bit spooked walking home you know I had in my mind exactly how it would be for her. Before becoming a writer I understand you spent a great deal of your time in rural and remote communities as a nurse and a midwife also working with the Royal Flying Doctor Service and volunteering overseas You're one of a number of authors I've interviewed whose experiences working in such communities have inspired them to put pen to paper. So what is it do you think about our rural communities that make such good writing fodder? I think the interesting characters that live in these communities and the toughness of the people and especially farming families. I've worked in small country hospitals where the hospital is probably the biggest employer in the town and so a lot of the nurses and the domestic staff and whatever have partners or or husbands that are farmers or involved with the land in some way and just the stoicism I think and the resilience and that of those farming families and I mean I grew up on in my early years on a farm and so I sort of had a bit of a taste of it But then, and especially the women, and that's what inspired the character of Sarah, is because I've known so many Sarahs in my Mm. life, women that have just worked so hard at jobs as well as working on the farm, raising families, being involved in their community. And a lot of these women went to the country from the city, like they married farmers. That is such a common tale for women in the sort of 60s, 70s cohort now that they went out as new graduate from teachers college or they went out as freshly minted registered nurses and met someone and and ended up staying and spending the next sort of 40, 50, 60 years or whatever in these communities. And I've always been fascinated by how these communities work um, because they are very complex and not always inclusive. They do hold a lot of fascination for me. I'm a country person and I've spent my life living in these communities. I sort of appreciate them for what they are and they are a rich source of inspiration, that's for sure. 
Yeah, certainly seems so. So coming back to When Grace Went Away, for those who haven't had the pleasure of reading it as I have, can you tell us a little bit more about the story? Well, I like to think of it as a mother-daughter story. Mm. Um, It's about Sarah, the mother, and Grace, the daughter, and it's a family that has been split by tragedy and Grace, as the eldest sibling of four, she is the one that's trying to keep a connection like all of the family members connected and then she takes a posting to London with her job and so she even though with as we say modern technology she can still be there with video chats and all that kind of thing she's 17,000 kilometers away and it's what happens to the family while she's away and I guess Sarah the mother in a way stepping up to the plate and trying to rebuild some fractured relationships and for Sarah too realizing that what is important in her life is her family and she's been estranged from that and what she needs to do to you know bring things together or back as well as what she can and then Grace is away in London observing what's happening feeling really quite left out and she realizes what is really important about her family for her and so that sort of brings about changes in her life as well and it's that that sort of I've got to get away but then when you do get away just realizing what you've actually left behind and what the that is really important and what you actually do miss So that's what the story's about. And in the background, there's other members of the family and the extended family and the community that Sarah spent a big chunk of her life and had her family and that in and where Grace grew up. Yeah, it's a fascinating look at that mother-daughter relationship. For me, it was very intriguing because Grace is this amazingly successful, independent person, but also very much sees herself as her mother's protector, that go-between between her mother and the rest of the family. And as you said, her decision to work in London for a while is as much a catalyst for change in her life as it is for the rest of her family, isn't it? It is because she goes away and what she thought she'd aspired to for her whole career turns out to be just perhaps a little bit different or maybe it's that she can be more objective about it because she's completely out of the comfort zone when she is in London, even though she's been there before. But it is quite different and then she's a bit older too and so she's taking a whole... I think your whole slant on life changes. The things that might have been important, like prestige in her job and all that, she's beginning to think, well, is that more of a two-dimensional thing than what she'd thought before? And so, yeah, she has some, I think, confronting things about herself and her own life and what she thought she wanted. Uh, And I think if she hadn't have gone away, perhaps it might not have happened like that. On Grace still, I think there was a real sense that her family resented her, not only for her career choice, but the fact that she lived a life far removed from theirs. A city versus country divide, perhaps? Yes, I think so. And because she chose a career above all else, she hadn't married or had any real long-term relationships or anything. I don't want to give too much of the story away. She even felt estranged from her country roots because she had spent so long in the city I suppose it's that question when do you stop calling yourself a country person and (laughs) and you 
become a city person. I, I don't know about that. And there's a real role reversal here, isn't there? I mean, Grace takes on the role of not just protector for her mother, Sarah, but also provides for her financially when her husband, Doug, cuts her off without a cent. It's a sobering reminder of the precarious existence of many women or even family members who work alongside husbands and, and other family members, not just on farms, but any family business, really. Is that mm. something you consciously wanted to explore? Probably not at first. It wasn't something conscious but then gradually I think it was with a lot of the women that I've known that were in not that exact position but similar positions and didn't necessarily have independent incomes or anything that they did earn went straight back into the farm the expectation and I've been in some farmhouses where the women are cooking for shearers and whatever on such an ancient old electric stove and making do and all that but there's a sparkling new header in the shed you know that kind Mm -hmm. of thing it's sort of farming priorities sometimes seem really odd to those people that are not directly involved I know that farmers work really hard and it is very challenging when you're at the whims of the weather it's a huge gamble the farming life that's for sure and I think women play such a an integral part in it and I don't think that they're fully recognized for what they do I, I think things are changing as women in their own right are being recognised as farmers that that they're studying those sort of things and then going on to run their own properties and I think that's fantastic because often even if it's not acknowledged they're there propping up and supporting and just having hot food on the table and catering for shearers and moving grain bins and doing all sorts of things they are there all the time. That whole idea of the farm being the priority for all family members is really up front and centre in this book. And a tragedy at the centre of this novel, the death of the youngest fairly child just after his 21st birthday, really shines a light, not just on that issue, but also on the dysfunctional aspects of the family. In particular, with Luke gone, Doug needed someone to help him run the farm. And so Tim was forced to become his father's farmhand and suffered for it. So I wanted to ask, and, and I think you've touched on this, but also... So was this something that you observed often in your work or an issue you're particularly aware of as a country dweller? I think so. I've sort of observed that where there will be a son or whatever that has got no interest but they are obligated. They end up resenting what they have to do. In families where there are no sons, there's just all daughters and then none of the son-in-laws have any real interest and or that sense of obligation or whatever, that sort of connection to the land and it's sort of the farm at the cost of everything else. I've observed that in the people that I know and people backed into corners because they have got a familial, like a sense of family obligation. And then there's that whole succession planning too. You know, if the son does work on the farm and then it comes time to sell the farm up and it's all carved up, what are equal shares and who deserves what? And it split families up and it's caused no end of grief. Yeah, real minefield, I think. Yes, yes. Uh, And I, I... see some families that go into in a strategic way and I think that it's like any business that's how you've got to do it. I'd like to talk a little bit about the fictional town of Miners Ridge situated in the South Australian wheat belt I believe for a moment. One thing that I was very interested to learn about and which I didn't know existed before I read your book was this geographical line called Guida's Line. Can you tell oh. me a little bit more about that? It's just something you know about when you're South Australian yeah. and it was from way back in the 1800s I think. I'm sure People know more about it than me, but someone called, he was one of the 
surveyors or surveyor general or something and he put this line, imaginary line, through South Australia that sort of if you were the southern side of Gorda's line, well, the rainfall was more reliable and um, you were more likely to be successful with cropping in certain types of farming. And if you were north of Gorda's line, well, all it was was salt bush and you could run sheep and cattle and things like that, but no cropping. Mm. That's my understanding of it. But if you drive through rural South Australia, different spots you'll see stone markers or whatever that says you know Gorda's line runs through here there's a book that's written about it and I will say that I have purchased a copy of the book (laughs) it's very dry reading why was this setting important to your story I suppose it's because it's where I live that's a lot of the reason even though I'm in the, the sort of clear valley where vineyards and that sort of thing abound you only have to drive over the hill and there is the sprawling acres of the Broadacre Farms and you don't have to go very far north from here to Gorda's Line and I think they're the farmers that have it tougher because they don't have the rainfall and their profit, you know, maybe the land value is not as uh, as good or the return on their investments not as good or whatever. So... But I think it's beautiful country through South Australia and then heading up into the Flinders Ranges and that it's just magic country, I think, the big gum trees and the rolling plains and gentle hills. And, yeah, I I do. I love this part of South Australia. That inspired me. And I guess Miner's Ridge is when I thought about a location, it's, it's probably loosely based on Burra which is sort of about 50 kilometres away from where I live. So it was easy for me to go there and drive around and get a feel and sort of imagine in my mind where I was putting all these things, the gallery and the this and the that and something else. And that's sort of how I've done each of my books as I've imagined the setting was pick a town in South Australia where I wanted it to be and then create a fictional town sort of loosely based on that town. You mentioned a number of times that there'd been no rainfall in Miners Ridge despite the fact that most of the Fairley land falls south of Goiter's line. Is this a product of climate change, do you think? Is, is that what's actually happening? I personally think that because I've lived in South Australia for a big chunk of my life and I notice the difference to the climate now. I'm a vegetable gardener and so I sort of, can only recount my own history of growing vegetables and the amount of water and the fact that you've got to you can't grow anything in the summer now unless you've got shade cloth you've got to cover your trees or the fruit gets burnt so from that point of view I'm a firm believer in climate change we're just seeing less and less rainfall all the time and and you think well is this because it's drought or is this the new pattern of our our weather I'm sure it is climate change but I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that wouldn't agree with me. What research did you have to do for this story? The main bit of research was Grace's career, her job choice, because I've never been in international banking or corporate banking and so there wasn't a great deal that I knew about it. But I did know someone that has had some experience and she was very generous with her time and answering my questions and giving me a feel for the world of of international banking and how it is such a man's world and it is hard 
exceptionally hard for women to make it in that world. And I suppose through all my books, it's a bit of a theme, women choosing careers that are traditionally the domain of men. That came through loud and clear as I was talking to Michelle, this friend, that to to survive and to be successful in that sort of world, women just have to work so much harder. Mm. You'd think too that there would be a, um, I guess, a camaraderie or a, if for the few women that work in it to sort of naturally bond together, but it is. <laughs> Michelle said it's definitely not like that. It's often other women are just as competitive as the men. And Michelle recounted times where she'd been to this is in Australia, forums and all that, where she'd been the only woman and how a lot of the business is done on the golf course or over drinks or whatever and just how difficult it was for her as a woman to fit into that or to do her business the way she needed to in that kind of environment. Now, Meredith, you launched this book into a world affected by COVID-19. We were talking a little bit about this before we started recording. So I wanted to ask you, how different has your experience been this time around and has it affected the book's reception, do you think? Well, from my point of view, I've missed going about the countryside doing all the talks <laughs> at libraries and things like that because it's the opportunity to talk to people that read books and that's just fantastic and I've had some great times with all of my books but it was one of those I remember when it came out uh, when it was released towards the end of May it I just remember feeling a bit helpless and a bit you know sort of thinking I should be out there Mm. you know with grace um but I, I was stuck at home and you couldn't do anything but to all accounts it's been very well received and people are reading a lot of people that haven't read for a while are picking up books and I know that just from something I read the other day that even though book sales are down a a little bit they're not down very much and I think that's terrific we're sort of learning as we go and picking up on all these new technologies to promote our books on a day-to-day perspective life didn't really change for me much because as you know Claudine, writers, we work alone at our desks at home. Yes, as far as that went, it didn't really change. My husband's retired, so I'm looking at him now through the the window. He's up in the shed sitting in the sun. I truly did miss that whole connection with readers because, to me, that's just part of the joy of writing. It's always lovely to hear that people are picking up more books and reading at this time because that can only be a good thing. Yes, and I've had probably more feedback. People can email me through my website or Facebook or whatever, and I've had more feedback through those different outlets than before. And I just got one yesterday from a lady who said that she wasn't normally a reader, but with lockdown, Grace was the first one of my books that she'd read, and she just wanted to thank me for You know, that is just lovely when that happens. I just so appreciate when readers take the time to to get back to me because you're sort of in this vacuum in a way and without that input from the outside, you just sort of wonder whether you've reached the mark or what. Yes, and so listeners, on that note, if you love Meredith's book, please drop her a line. Yes, I would love that and I always (laughs) respond. What would you like people to take away from this book? I suppose I'm always trying to raise the profile of the country and country life and just the positives and how the richness I think of of country life I know perhaps city people sometimes think that all farmers do is is whinge about the weather 
But I suppose it's that understanding of just how complex and how difficult sometimes it really is and how a country community more often than not is there because of what happens on the land whether it's broad acre farming or vineyards or trees or whatever it is, that's why the country communities are there. I suppose it is basically is raising the profile of life in the country and how rich and complex it really is. Like you, I'm a member of Romance Writers of Australia and I wondered if you could tell me more about your journey to publication and how this organisation has helped you achieve your dream. I've been a member of Romance Writers Australia for, I've lost count of, the years but for a long time and I think in the early days they were a big help in that it was just as you said earlier about finding your tribe being with other writers and and when wannabe writers talk to me and ask me what I think that they should do that's one of the first things I say is you know hang around with other writers go to places where writers go be with people that write and that will inspire you it will reassure you that some of the thoughts you have are quite normal. <laughs> Other writers think that too because it is a very isolating thing to do just on your own with your imagination. And in the early days, I went to a lot of the conferences and I found that they were fabulous and I was so in awe of some of the writers like Trish Morey and people like that that had got contracts with publishing companies and it was sort of what we were all aspiring to. I'm still a member and I still look at Hearts Talk, the the magazine that they do, but I probably have less contact with them now than what I did in the early days. The other thing that I found really useful is the local writer's centre like Writers SA and I know each state has a writer's centre and over the years they've just been fantastic with um, workshops for writers just all sorts of groups if you so desire you can do whatever and as often or as infrequently as you like so I think just knowing you've got those things there as a writer has been fantastic because it it does take a long time to one first accept that you are actually an author (laughs) it took me a long time and I remember I think it was David Maloof but I'm not 100% sure saying that he you couldn't claim to be an author until you'd had at least three books published and when I heard him say that I I sort of scoffed because I probably just had my first one published I thought oh but now (laughs) after the fifth fifth one and and just having submitted the sixth one I sort of get what he was saying because it evolves the whole doing the writing and you have to treat it as a job in a way because it is Mm. and being on that seat in front of that computer um, writing your word count a day and all this sort of thing you you just have to do it all those things like romance writers and the local writers center and local writing groups I've been in and they've all helped over the years you mentioned that you just submitted your sixth manuscript can you tell me a little bit more about that it's another story of set in a country town once again modeled on on a, couple, a mix of a couple of different places, but it's on the York Peninsula this time. I've, I've taken my characters to the beach. Main protagonist in this one is the older woman and there are younger characters as well. And it's just about a group of people that are so different, but circumstances bring them together. It's how you don't have to be related to, by blood to become a family. If listeners wanted to find out more about you and your books, Meredith, where could they do that? 
Uh, I have a website, which is meredithappleyard.com.au. I probably could put more stuff up there than... I'm a bit of a technophobe when it comes to things like that, but I always keep all the information about my books and events and things like that current. I'm on Facebook, and sometimes I think that's under duress because (laughs) I'm just not good at that stuff. And I find that it's quite stress-producing, always thinking, well, what can I post, what can I post? People can email me through my website, and I'm more than happy to respond there. Like I just did a, a workshop, an online workshop through Writer's Essay just a couple of nights ago. So I try and keep involved in that, in that sort of thing too. I allocate myself or whatever you want to say um, that I do at least some ongoing education of myself each year because I think that's really important to keep in touch with what's happening out there and how I can improve or and also to revisit the stuff about the craft because I've just been cleaning out my office. It's a between books job and I've been busily shredding and, and things like that and reading through some of my earlier notes with manuscripts and things. And it is a real refresher on the craft. It just makes me laugh and think back to the time when I was writing those notes and how things have changed. Meredith, I wanted to say it's been wonderful chatting with you today. I'm hankering to get stuck into more of your stories and I wish you every success with this latest release and the others that will follow. Thank you very much, Claudine. It has been great to talk. Um, I've just really enjoyed it. So thanks very much. Well, that's a wrap, folks. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes or drop me a line via my Instagram at Claudine Tinellis or on my webpage, claudinetinellis.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time, happy reading.